Welcome to Turnbuckles. I'm John Reinman, and my weirdest cab driver ever gave me a 20-minute TED Talk on all the different kinds of space aliens. I'm Tommy Rico, and my weirdest cab driver ever was the guy who drove me to Boston's Logan Airport in January and decided to show me a viral video of his dad screaming at the Patriots while driving in an ice storm. My ride was to Logan, too. Maybe it was the same guy. Well, uh, Julie couldn't be here today, so she can't do an intro. But she sent someone in her place. Now, we've been getting a lot of fan interaction on our TikTok over at, at @turnbucklespod. And a lot of it involved some heated uh, controversy involving Tommy over a certain wrestler in AEW. Well, someone's got your back, Tom. Yes, hello, Dino's in here. Very nice, very evil, very famous. Yes, pretty good, pretty good. Etcetera, etcetera, catchphrase, catchphrase, so on and so forth. Something, something, something. Love that, Dino's in. With dog. So, what are we doing here today? We're here to wish... This is not a birthday message. I thought it was a birthday message. Well, anyways, this is from Julie Housen to Tommy Housen. Tommy mentioned on his podcast, Turnbuckle, that Turnhausen deserves many more human monies. Lots of people agreed, but some idiots, what I mean. He didn't run, double down, said Turnhausen is one of the best. And we curse the haters. Yes, Turnhausen and Tommy and Julie. We shall send the worst of curses to anyone who defies Turnhausen. So, they're all cursed, and may all of your enemies be cursed. Thank you. All right, well, that was a wild ride. Uh, just like the one that Miz took with Dexter Loomis as we head into the Raw Recap. Raw Recap. Tom, anything new? Uh, do we have to do the Raw Recap? Can we just end the podcast right now? I think now? you have a new friend, Tom. <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations, man. That was so sweet of Julie and of Dan Housen. Thank you both so, so much. And interestingly enough, in the mail today from Pro Wrestling Tees, I got both my and my son's Danhausen shirts that we're going to wear at the uh, the Dolores event at Republic of Lucha in Pasadena. So looking there you forward go. to that. Thank you, Danhausen. Thank you, Danhausen. We love Danhausen. See, Housen. I already sent him human monies, so <laughs> it, he didn't even know. Uh, we want, yeah. Thank you to Danhausen for helping us out. We hope to have a, uh, talk to Danhausen, have an extended talk. And um, Tom, I'm going to ask you the first question. This is the first thing on my head. And we're going to jump around a little bit here. When Miz got into the SUV, did you know what the reveal was going to be? Did you know how they were going to do it? Yes, because of the way they were shooting the SUV. Like, they were making sure to capture the whole SUV, including Mm -hmm. the back seat where the reveal was. So that kind of was a tip-off. I still liked it. Still executed very well. Now, let me ask you, say this were like 98, 99, would you have figured out where they were going? Would Probably not. Yeah. See, that's what I thought. I thought that was a moment where you have to separate yourself and say, this is the difference between common logic and just, I've been watching this stuff for a long time. And you watch a lot of horror movies. So you, I mean, you're a jump scare expert. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that one of the great things about WWE is that it has so much history to call back to. And because triple H is a wrestling historian, he loves to call back to stuff. And that's, that's an item that they used to call back to with The Undertaker a few right. times, and now now with Dexter Loomis in a similar role. Uh, by but the way, speaking the of calling... It was yeah, the reverse we'll... buckle up, Teddy. Yeah. It was the, I'm buckled up, Teddy. Uh, there's been That's some... A, hold on, I'm going to stop you. Do you think, was Dexter Loomis wearing a seatbelt? I don't think he's sane enough to wear a seatbelt. I mean... I, one of the things I love about Loomis is that he just looks like a complete fucking psychopath. I mean, he is a scary looking individual. 
One thing that I think people have gone overboard with is that, especially since we haven't seen Dexter in the ring since he's shown back up, is that uh, there are starting to... Uh, I've seen some comparisons out there floating that have mentioned Dexter Loomis in the same breath as Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. Now, they both happen to be white men with piercing blue eyes and intense stares. Beyond that, I think we can calm that one down well, a little so John bit. Tesh. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's take the rhetoric down a little bit. I mean, I, by the way, I would love if Dexter Loomis was the next Stone Cold Steve Austin. The business needs one. Um, but just let's not put it there yet. Let's let things develop a bit. Um, I'm glad people are enthusiastic, but there's a certain line that goes over the top uh, that we'll reach a few times, I think, today. I thought, uh, I mean, I thought they were doing a great job. But it's like you said, they let it hang. I think if they'd framed it just a little bit, did you like seeing the light go on or would it have been, would it have been better if the car was driving by the camera, then the light went on as it went by? Oh, for practicality, the light had to come on. Okay, There's so just they no did, way they to did shoot the right that. Way. Yeah. Unless, unless the window was open and suddenly he like sat up, that's the only <laughs> other reveal they could do. They would have to have the light on just for practical purposes. Cause it was like a tinted, uh, tinted truck and i liked so. that they that was it i liked that as they drove away there was no like you know well i can't name the. have you seen uh get out yet tom i have not seen get out yet uh i know it's terrible um that movie since before i've had a child we have someone on the show who does a segment with us she was not yet born and and i was like you got to see get out so you get all my references when i talk about it anyway i can't I was going to make a comparison, but I can't do it. You haven't seen it yet. We should. That's our T-shirt. Tom C. Get Out. <laughs> no spoilers, please. Instead of Bruce, get your pills. Tom C. Get Out. <laughs> God damn it. I can't make any references to you. Um, but I like that that car just drove away without like a, you know, a start. And then, you know, it's just like, oh, shit, where are they going? Because I think my prediction is for next week, Miz, nothing's going to happen. Like Miz is going to be like, I don't know what the fuck happened. I pulled up to my thing. I searched everywhere. He wasn't in the car. Like he's going to well, do a tuck so and roll. The, the fans and the cameras saw Dexter Loomis in the crowd during the Miz Bobby Lashley match. Mm -hmm. And they sold that Miz saw him. But are we to believe that it was in Miz's head? No. Did the other wrestlers not see it? Like it, it I don't quite understand. That was the only thing where just Ciampa didn't see it. Somehow. I think, I think that was, I don't think WWE is doing that. Vince. Fantasy land. It was just a dream. Remember that time when, uh, do you remember the clip? It's on YouTube. I don't know when this is from. I guess I was not watching at the time. It was like 2010 when I'd kind of dropped out for a bit. And uh, it was like Vince was in the hospital and he had, he had a terrible nightmare that he was in politics or something and he kept waking up. And then they did one where Triple H and Stephanie woke up and it was like, they did, it was like a Bob Newhart ending of raw. Yeah, I do remember that. What the fuck was that? It was you know, weird. I'm going to say, what the fuck was that? Because that was my thought when I saw it on. I was like, what? We're not even, you're I, not even doing wrestling at that point. I know we're very complimentary to Miz on this program generally, um, but I want to say something as far as, so having worked many years as a professional actor who's been paid for his work, I have and have some training in that particular genre. Uh, I feel qualified to say this. Miz is a really good choice as far as the victim in this situation, because he is, I, I won't go as far as saying he's a great actor. And there's definitely a difference between screen acting, stage acting and wrestling acting. Big, big differences. 
but he's a very, very good actor. And the way he has sold this has been brilliant. I do hope that he can retire the my balls are massive catchphrase and return to <laughs> I think he a wants new to, catch- but they got a billion well, he, shirts they got made when Vince was he's there. Got, he's got a better like, catchphrase now. He's got a catchphrase that might sell t-shirts. I don't want to talk about it. That's your new gimmick. That's your new catchphrase. <laughs> you know what my fear is? Sell you know when t-shirts. a team loses the championship, a team loses the Super Bowl, I just don't want to see a bunch of people in a third world country wearing a t-shirt that says, my balls are massive. <laughs> that's what's gonna have to happen if you don't oh and he he still tried to sell the catchphrase during the match and wore the t-shirt for half the match oh just get rid of it so bad can you give it to somebody else say their balls are massive (laughs) maybe that's our next corbin thing it's just massive corbin it's one of those it's a relic from the previous administration yeah that needs to go away um but I do like, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, that's a really good one. And I loved the work. The one, one little detail, and again, these are little tiny things that when they do them, it makes such a difference. When Champa saw that Miz was distracted, to try to bring him back to Earth by calling him Mike was mm. great. Yes. So it brings so much more gravity to it, and it really worked. Champa did really good work throughout the whole segment uh, in the ring and then at the end saying goodbye to Miz in the parking lot. Uh, really, really good stuff by Ciampa. It kind of, you know, uh, also real quick, um, I did, you, you texted me to this earlier today when um, Loomis showed up in that backstage in the hallway for just a split second. I didn't see that. I was watching it on TV I. and then I re- tried to rewatch it. And I, if you blinked, you missed it. You really did. It was such a quick, like in and out that if yeah, you so- blinked, or, I must have been like, I don't know what I was doing. Looking away or shout looking at the phone or stupid. Well, shout out on Twitter. We did have um, it, the picture that was tweeted. And again, I don't know if this is the source, but the one that I saw it from one was Humble Wrestling. So that's at, hum, at Wrestling Humble on Twitter. They tweeted the photo and I retweeted it with a what uh, of Loomis looming in the background Loomis right behind Champa in I the like hallway. That. Uh, and then that would but have been then his fucking also, name if Vince was still there. Looming, the double loop, looming Loomis. The double take by uh, Miz after Loomis was in the background, even though most of the audience didn't catch it. I didn't was catch it. Awesome yeah. too. I mean that that's it, it, because it's one of those things where if you didn't see Loomis, it just looks like he's paranoid, and if you did see Loomis. It's one of those like neat little Easter eggs. I, I just, I love what they're doing with Dexter and Loomis. I think it's so too. interesting. I go back to the Kevin McAllister airline ticket where it's a split second, but man, that's a giant fucking like plot point. And um, feels like a Bruce Pritchard production. You never know, or someone who learned from Bruce Pritchard, but like spot on. Like it was like the, it was one of the better, like this thing's been really fun. It's been really cool. Um, you that know, whole I'll tell hallway you segment, theory. you and I, you and I talked about it earlier today. But that whole hallway segment felt a lot like Bruce's return to the company, his most recent return, where he helped book the backstage stuff with Batista and uh, Triple H in the retirement angle with Flair, mm. the beatdown backstage with Flair, because that felt intensely real. And that mm-hmm. was Bruce, literally, I think his first day coming back and what a segment that was it felt very similar and also the puppets from the firefly funhouse that were popping up yeah and that happened for a couple weeks before people really caught on and then it became like a thing they had to do it twice an episode um so if that was bruce 
Shout out to Bruce. Shout out to whoever. That was just a, a brilliant backstage. Um, and uh, I also want to give a shout out the backstage that we're going to talk about in a second, but Kurt Angle and Edge going right into the Mysterios that all that one shot shit that was well done. I mean, yep. that's like everyone's got to be on the same page for that. And everyone nailed it. And so just just everyone at the top of their game and shout out. Uh, great job, Dominic, who uh, has not been in a probably a one shot like that, you know, ever um, and nailed it. Well, the way they got there was great, too, because we op- we opened raw with the Judgment Day. And something about the way that, who apparently have not ditched their uh, theme by Alter Bridge. I guess that's their team song. And each of them has individual Judgment so like Day NWO, music as well. Kinda. But when they came out, they were shot differently. It, that just the camera angles and the lighting was slightly different. And it made them look so much more threatening and imposing. And then you had that end angle. Now we're going to talk about great acting in the ring. Rhea Ripley and Dominic with a conflicted Dominic and a kendo stick in hand and Rhea Ripley talking him down, not only from hitting her with the kendo stick, but having him hand over the kendo stick. Rhea did absolute masterful acting work in the ring. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. And Dominic brought it too. Dominic really sold it very well and then sold it well in the backstage. I like we all know where this is going. Do we? This is Dom. I think Dominic's turn is inevitable now. I mean, if they have a swerve coming, I'd love to see it. But that's what they seem to be selling. But man, there was some good work, both with the Judgment Day and then that backstage. Well, the remember, Martin we Scorsese thought, shot you're we, thought about. we thought Dexter Loomis was there for AJ Styles, and then that swerved. So yep. he might come back around. But, you know, get, get, get back to Dexter Loomis for a second. Um, what I kept calling, what I kept thinking was going to happen was because of their NXT history, I thought Ciampa was going to be the, the third man, the quote, you know, we were going to find that he was going to grab Miz and drag him back to Dexter. And it was going to be three NXT guys kidnapping him, which could still happen. Totally. And that's one of the many, and that's why this story is so great. There's a lot of different avenues they can take and damned if I know which one, but they're all fairly interesting. It's just really good casting on WWE's part. And they did a nice job with, together. with continuity because The Miz was on uh, Family Feud with Steve Harvey the other night. And that would have been, I was like, oh, so Dexter works for Steve. No big deal. Everything's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just really have to work hard to get people on that show. I'm like, but, I'm sorry, man. I'm a production assistant. It's my first day. Whatever. But see but, what yeah. happens when, when you have people that notice those little details. All you needed was one little line. I don't want to talk about it. And all of a sudden... We're there. We're yeah. fine. Everything, everything works. It's just the difference between more. throwing stuff haphazardly at the screen and hoping some spaghetti sticks to the wall versus having a long-term plan, booking long-term, and building stories that are not week to week. This is what we can expect. I will also point out, too, that it helps in a long-term storytelling situation in wrestling that Dexter Loomis right now is not competing in the ring. So it helps in that situation where you also, you, it's easier to book, obviously, long term when someone's not risking injury every week. Yeah. And that's also I he never has spoken about this because you don't you don't talk hypothetical injuries. You don't wish, you know, you don't wish that bad karma. But I've noticed that with Bruce's long term stuff and uh, Ed's long term stuff, Ed Kosky, I mean, um, is that they protect the, the people involved so they don't they can carry out the storyline. And then, you know, down the road in the blow off 
Uh, but Raw, uh, I mean, everyone in WWE should. I thought that was a great episode last night. Um, I kept uh, texting you guys and saying, this is really good. You got to check it out. Um, we're going to go through it. But before we do, Dave Meltzer reporting Raw got over 2 million viewers last night, which is um, just off another Twitter. I, I got into, you know, you're the one, Tommy, that gets into the shit with people. Dan Housen has to come out and curse people for you. I, I had my own little Twitter exchange, bro. And uh, thankfully, and ended respectfully, but despite what some people may say, I think uh, 2.11, you feel pretty good about that in August. You have to. It's, it's a different era. You, you just can't compare it to the late 90s, early 2000s. There's no comparison. Would you compare anything else to the late 90s, early 2000s? I mean, it's just a different market. It's like there's so many more options. Yeah. And the fact, that you can, the fact that you can get over 2 million people to watch anything mm-hmm. let alone niche programming on cable. like wrestling on yeah. cable it's it's a beyond great number uh great and number. and you know what on the other side of the fence aew's ratings are also slightly up yeah um yeah i mean so there's <laughs> and we're getting and, and, and by the way, in a sec- <laughs> yeah i don't Both know that programs. it's for the same reasons but y- you know what though we don't know why AEW's ticking upward and whether they're the architects of it or whether um, some kind of backstage mess is. But yeah. I have a feeling it's probably closer to management just working the sheets. That's guerrilla marketing 101 mm. is create controversy. Um, you know? But yeah, good number. And yeah, especially nowadays when you have, um, you know, some networks are chopping off whole hours of primetime programming. And then the people that follow them must be going, well, this feels great. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we might be losing genres, pal, uh, pretty soon. Pals, I should say. Um, moving on, uh, the other uh, segment that drew a lot of... This might have stolen the show, actually. And again, it was it, one line. It Matt did. Riddle, he's got his first name back. First of all, did. did Sadie name him? Did Sadie go down to Stanford when I didn't know about it? Uh, Matt Riddle, not just Riddle is with uh, Seth Rollins, and they did a backstage and um, got real personal. And I thought that was well done, too. Where they came back from commercial, they said, we kept the cameras rolling after these guys were talking. And of course, you had, uh, you know, Matt Riddle bring up Becky Lynch, who's married to Seth. And yeah, you kind of know that's coming. But then Seth brings up the real-life tribulations of Matt Riddle and says, you only bring that up because you're ashamed of your own family. You know, like your wife who left you and took the kids. And it was like, <gasps> and that felt very 1997 to me in a good way. And I think that this was perfect for backstage. First of all, I, I don't feel happy that Matt Riddle went through that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not happy for the children that had to go to like, you know, I'm not like celebrating, but like the fact that someone was like, okay, yeah, call out my shit to further the storyline. Right. Okay. You know, that's yeah, I haven't seen that. Matt Riddle, Matt Riddle. I mean, whatever has been said on screen about him, his mouth has gotten him there because mm-hmm. there have been backstage issues with Riddle and with Rollins before that right, Riddle started. Yeah. You know, Riddle, Riddle got himself into this shit and he's going to have to work himself out. Uh, I don't know how much of this was scripted and checked on with each performer. I don't care. Uh, I think I, Riddle I think is a guy... Know. I, I don't know. I mean, they're not going to throw a line like that in there involving your Hunter's not going to involve your children without you knowing I, if he does. Yeah, that's I, I suppose I will say that this was, I think, probably the best 
Riddle promo I've ever seen. Yeah. And this is one of the best promos I've ever seen from Seth Rollins, who I Rollins at this point, that promo completely washed away any of the disappointment I had with the months and months of silly Joker like promos. That was amazing. And it wasn't just what he said, because the words were really they were ice picks into the soul. But it was the way he said them. It was just the devotion that he had to absolutely destroying Riddle in that moment. And that's why I, I like I don't know if they knew the exact wording of what was going on at the end of the promo where Riddle kind of flamed out and started cursing and had to be bleeped and everything. I, I just wonder. I wonder how much of that was planned, how much of it was real. Um, obviously, they had the bleep in place, so they knew it was coming. So it was probably scripted. Uh, but it was done really well. There was mm-hmm. some very real anger there, and I think there's well, some real it unresolved issues because it happened during the commercial. So there was there was logic there. It was like right. the action reaction we talked about last week. Um, so uh, you know, it made sense. So that was uh, something that was uh, very well done, and also the parking lot brawl on which, social media. Yeah, on social media. But the way the WWE shot it. With the with a with a smartphone and everything like that, just a unique way of doing things. Because that that whole trope of our cameras were in the parking lot to catch bullshit. No one's cameras are. It takes you got It takes time to get out there. So I thought that was very well done. I, I mean, it's like you can tell Hunter's taking ideas from people to make this based in reality. And I mean, honestly, this felt really like an AEW feud. It felt there was just an extra layer. And these both both of these guys are going to be able to deliver in the ring too. That's the other side of this. They're not I, they're not layering a bad program. These are two guys that are gonna go when they finally hit the ring, and it's gonna it's gonna be epic. It feels I'm gonna call back the '97. Feels very 1997 to me. That's a year sadly I missed out on. I wasn't watching at the time. Uh, a lot of a lot of people kind of weren't. Um, but it um it felt good to me in that way, and um. You know, I, I think that it, it, it kind of took me back. And I, I think the things that the, the common denominator is Vince is that there's back in 97, there's real life heat on Vince because of Bret Hart. And, you know, he was able to take advantage of it. Well, Vince is gone now. He still got what is 88 percent of the shares or whatever. That's yeah. what people kind of forget <laughs> that like, ha ha, fuck Vince. He's still making money. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, gone um, has a pretty recursive definition for some people when, when that's yeah. the case. But uh, it feels that way now where it's like there's legit. I mean, it, it's not happy. It's not fun. And it, there's no way it's 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 you and I talk. Let's just say it real quick. I think Montreal might have been a work. I've come around on that. I'm, I'm in the same boat after working in I, TV, after working in TV this long and working in media and just like everything we know. I'm just like, it feels like it was a work gone wrong. Work you know what? If knows. if it was a work, that was Brett's way of doing the honors. That so, that's the way I feel about it. That was that was doing the honors on the way out was handing them that, handing them Mr. McMahon. Hey, we want to welcome a very special guest, everybody. Uh, he is a former WWE writer, and we're going to get into a whole bunch of other cool shit he's done. It's none other than Andrew Goldstein, everybody. What's up, Andrew? What's up, Ryman? How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. And you got here at the perfect time because we're about to talk to, about someone that you worked with, I believe. Kurt Angle was on yeah. Raw last night. Did you get to work with Kurt when you were in Stanford? I did. He, 
he was the uh, I got, you know, it was the, a very I was look, I was at WWE 2006, 2007. And so um, if you're tracking Kurt Angle's career, it was a pretty dark time. Unfortunately mm. for Kurt, he was sort of the face of the ECW brand and he was going through a pretty tough time. And not too long after um, I left in early 2007, um, he left. Um, but yes, I was there with him and the helmeted um, bodyguards and the whole sort of ECW presentation of Kurt Angle. Did you work with him? Like, did you get to do stuff with him was or was it kind of much like i said he was not in the greatest place in terms of collaboration and so uh kurt was sort of uh left to paul paul Heyman uh Mm. and sort of the sort of inside senior people i mean again i was 25 i was low man (laughs) of the low man on the totem pole so i was working with like mike knox right isn't that interesting though that mike knox kelly kelly storyline uh, isn't that interesting though that Kurt his first like on camera participation in pro wrestling was infamously with Paul Heyman in the original uh, yeah. ECW and led to like lawsuit threats and all because that was the Sandman crucifixion sure. night. <laughs> That's when Kurt came full circle. And you know it's yeah. so funny that ECW brand everybody was so critical about rant. You know like. They're just putting the title in Matt Hardy. He has no connection to ECW, but like Kurt did. And it's one of those things where like WWE is weird about acknowledging it, Um, Mm. but it was there. That connection was there. So like he felt sort of um, more, he felt sort of, you know, more appropriate to be on ECW than say uh, big show. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and Kurt, so Kurt Angle was horrified. He, he attended an ECW show because yeah. he was thinking about signing with them. And he was horrified by the product and then spends 20 years in the product, which yeah. is just a, an amazing turn of events. Andrew, when you were there, was it the, the time where like Kurt infamously was so banged up that he went to management and showed like his graphic horrific injuries? Like, look at how bad I am. Was that the time? Um, by the way, before I answer your question, I only said hi to John Reinman. I want to say hi, Tommy. I'm a big oh, hey, fan. Andrew. Thank you. I didn't uh, say hi either. I apologize. It, we've had a lot of fun um, interactions uh, on Twitter, so I appreciate it. It's really Absolutely. cool to just be on the, the greater Turnbuckles uh, universe. So it, it's really cool. But in terms of your question, again, was not really privy to uh, that sort of information, but I imagine that was around the time. I mean, look, I don't, I, I love Kurt and he is really 360 from being, you know, at that low point in his life to, to being a very um, happy, you know, happy person uh, right now and really healthy person. But at that time, I mean, there, there was the, I even, I just hate to say it, but there was the Eddie Guerrero mm. sort of talk about him mm. in terms of, you never know any day that phone, you know, that phone call could come. Like that's literally what the conversation was around Kurt amongst employees. Um, when we were backstage at TV, like people were on watch for that. So, um, like I said, very, very dark time. I didn't get the entertaining Kurt angle that, uh, we saw during the attitude era. And obviously we saw, uh, last night on raw. So, um, I'm just 
beyond so elated to see Kurt back and happy and smiling and, you know, chugging milk and, and, you know, calling back to really fun angles from 20 years ago with edge and, and yep. smiling as, as wide as Kurt, you know, it, it was just, I thought he looked great last too. Night to see, to see classic Kurt. Be, and again, even his secondary run in WWE where he's the GM and the whole Jason Jordan storyline, it was so sort of bastardized and not fun. And it felt like a round, uh, a square peg in a round hole with a lot of what he was being asked to do as an authority figure. Last night felt like, you know, it was a nostalgia. It, it was like, no, it's a nostalgia. And it just looked like he was having a blast. And he looked great. Yeah. He looked, he looked really healthy, looked really happy. And like when I was there, uh, he was a producer. Kurt Angle was. So oh, he, cool. was, he, had a, he had a backstage role and we had lunch one day at TV uh, super nice guy, but what did not look nearly as good as he did last night. Did not look nearly as healthy, nearly as happy. Um, just seemed nice, but he just seemed tired. It just seemed like he was having a tough time. And now that he's had some procedures done on his body and like a lot of it, I mean, you know, there was a two year pandemic, you know, where he, a lot of people couldn't really go out and run too hard. And, um, when I saw he was going to be on raw, I was a little bit like, mm-mm. But he looked great, and I thought the segments were great. And I thought his what was Tom? What was his last nine? It was uh, he had he had some Kurt Angle curse that he uttered as he Jiminy Jiminy crickets uh, or yeah. something like that. But I forget what it was. But it, it was, was a great. Yeah, it was, it, it was some Christian cleaned up version of yeah. of Jesus Christ. My only yeah. I, will, I I don't think I've said this Cripes on the of show. The, by Cripes the way. of the night, I think it was. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said this on the show, but. Uh, Kurt Angle is in my all-time top five, and yeah. he oh. and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania are my there. That's my favorite all-time match. Wow. Um, yeah, that he's he is just amazing, and he seems like such a sweet guy. And that's why when he started that descent into the painkillers and and the substance abuse, and he was looking worse, and his his life seemed to be coming apart. It was terrifying because. Another, also in my top five is Eddie Guerrero, yeah. who was a guy that I adored and his passing still hurts to this day because I think he had so much left to contribute to the business, both yeah. on, on stage and off. Uh, but Kurt is great. And then last night, so the procedures that you were mentioning, he's coming off of double knee replacement surgery and not Same only time. walked to the ring, but walked to, to the ring in his gear. Yeah. <laughs> I, my only critique uh, with last night, well, I have two, but one's a nerdy one. My with Kurt specific, my only critique is that I thought the shush off with uh, Gable was going to end in an angle slam, which would have destroyed the crowd. You know, it just would have been amazing. Might have destroyed Kurt's knees, though. So. For sure. But again, when you're watching it and you're in the moment, you're just like, come yeah. on, I want that angle slam. And then I tweeted it last night. I, I don't necessarily, I don't live tweet Rob too much anymore. But uh, I just couldn't help myself. I mean, it was glaring. Um, look, e everybody talks about the difference between the creative now that uh, Triple H is running it instead of Vince. But one thing Vince was lit literally God level, um, sort of goat level at was his meticulous eye for camera blocking. And I mean, post the whole post match, the camera blocking again, super nerdy, super TV producer, you know, showrunner. Uh, talk, but the camera blocking was a complete mess. It was a complete AEW looking WCW, just like nothing was to the right camera. We missed all the good stuff. 
uh, it was outside of the ring. Uh, it, it was a, it looked like a production uh, nightmare. I know from being backstage and I'm sure John saw it too, is just the time that Vince took with every segment on the format in terms of how it should be blocked from the littlest detail to the most important details. Um, I just thought it was one of those times where I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's where they're really going to miss Vince. It start and it starts in the room too. Like when he's getting, when you're pitching the show to Vince, he's already thinking, oh, how are we going to, you know, how's, how are we going to see this? What's, yeah. You know, what's he's painting the picture. Yeah. Um, and ideas live and die sometimes based on that, based on that. Yeah. Andrew, so, was, was that the match where the camera angle, there was a point where they just shot the dark part of the crowd and there was no light or ring to be seen in the shot. Cause there was one point where I'm like, what are they doing? They've they been, literally had a back, yeah. like just, they shot from the back of the room, but it was just the back half of the audience that wasn't lit. That was the whole shot. And it was on screen for like four seconds. They've been cutting to an extreme wide shot of the arena, which actually harkens back to the superstars and challenge days that I grew up with in the 86, 87, 88. They do that. And that sort of used to be a bumper shot for them. Um, It was disjointing a, because we haven't seen it in so long and B because it just felt randomly placed when, when it was called for um, in the control room. I kind of like it as a um, as sort of a reset, but again, like they don't have the the cool the banners hanging anymore. Like I think they used to do it on Superstars and Challenge just to show you like the perspective of like where the people are and the cool Superstars banners and the ring. Um, but uh, yes, they are. That is a new shot. That is not something that Kevin Dunn um, has uh, been calling for the last twenty years. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the problem with that shot was the fact that the ring was so obscured. I, I, I almost yeah. remember it as the ring being off camera. So now it's just a shot of the dark. Uh, but I remember those shots from Challenge and Superstars. And the centerpiece was always the ring was in the top left corner, usually yeah. of the shot where you'd see the audience. And most of the audience, you could see their silhouettes because they were backlit. And then you'd see the ring lit up. But that shot was just weird. All of your listeners just uh, clicked to something uh, from that. I'm done. <laughs> well, <laughs> supposedly there's a larger audience for wrestling nostalgia than there is for wrestling, oh, which well, I, I, I question, mean, but. We specialize in camera angles, though. Yes. Yeah. They talk a lot about, about a lot of good angles on that show. Oh, yeah. What's their and favorite? costuming. Well, probably the wide arena shot. No, I would say that. my Mount Rushmore of wrestling camera angles would start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of shots, though, uh, title shot. We can say title shot now, Andrew. That's no longer the on belt? the band word list. Yeah. Title belt shot. The wrestlers not fighting over the belt. The belt. Shot. Yeah, it's not an opportunity. Uh, we have new women's tag team champions. Tommy, were you happy with this booking? I was very happy because I predicted it, but also the fact that, I, I mean, we've talked about it over the course of the weeks that Sky and Kai have been around I'm not impressed yet. And it was a very sloppy match. Um, It ended in what I think will turn into controversy down the road because many fans have pointed out that the wrong person was pinned for the championship. Uh, So, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that that may be setting something up. I I doubt that was an error that I think that that was done on purpose. So there's there's some shenanigans afoot. But I really one thing I don't quite understand is the hate online for Aaliyah, who's not a terrible worker. Is she great? No, she's she's not Becky Lynch. She's not Bianca Belair. 
but she's not terrible. And there's a lot of like, she's the worst wrestler ever stuff floating around. And that's, <laughs> no. I mean, she's, she is a baby face in peril in a tag team with a powerhouse. She plays her role really well. And you know what? She wrestled really well last night. I thought she was good. I, I, I mean, was it, was it a typical raw main event quality match? Probably not, but the dynamic is shifting again because they're putting more of the emphasis on the first two hours than the last hour. And was it a terrible match? No. Was it great? No, it was, it was, it was messed up. There was some stuff that didn't quite work. But was it entertaining? Sure. And does it further a storyline? Yes. So I thought it did its, its job. Here's why I uh, didn't last very long at WWE. Uh, I would have been, I, I would be pitching nonstop to pair Sky and Kai with Kai and Ty and just call them <laughs> Kai and Ty. Kai and, Kai and Kai and Ty. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Um, and then Michael Hayes, literally by my underwear, would have thrown me out of the writer's room uh, like Fresh Prince, uh, like Jazzy Jeff on the Fresh Prince. OK, <laughs> with that dumb joke out of the way, you, like, yeah, is she the worst? No. Is she good? No. Uh, I also think they're a pretty mismatched team. I mean, we've seen sort of the powerhouse and the baby, you know, like. I, I always think Cass of and Enzo. Yeah. That's sort of thing. Under the giant and Haku. Yeah. Um, they're just, if their gear was a little bit more matching there, there's just some work that could be done to make them a little bit more cohesive, but it felt like old Crockett cup, like two disparate wrestlers put together for a tournament as opposed to like a well, you know, like a cohesive team that makes sense uh, visually um so for me like that takes me out of it because i get hung up on things like that um whereas sky and kai are like part of a faction and like they are a full you know it's, it's like on price is right when they bring out the lamo games that like don't that look like they didn't they didn't get like the good artwork and uh <laughs> it's just like guessing the prices on like riceroni as opposed to like plinko or punch out you know what i'm saying there yeah. just wasn't that like full creative um, look-see on those two. So they I, just I, feel a little disparate to me. I, yeah. I mean, I think what I'm seeing though is in kind of what I, first of all, here's what I'll say. It worked me because I, I didn't have them going over. I thought it was going to go the other way. I thought it was going to be Bailey with some kind of interference. And, you know, of course, yeah, there we go. And I hate that by the way. I hate that when I hate when raw ends. And this is what surprises me is that, for so long, from like 2010 to, you know, I don't know, like 2018 maybe, there seemed to be this stretch of the heels going over. We talked about this when I was there. The heels going over at the end too much. And the reason that everyone loved The Fiend so much was that it was a heel that could mow over someone to close the show, but people would be like, ah, cool shit. Like, I'm glad I stuck around and watched that. But like when they did the Authority storyline, with Daniel Bryan, and they just kept getting the better of everybody every week. It was like, fuck, why am I watching this, you know? And so I was a little bit worried about that, and so when the baby faces went over last night, I was like, oh, like it kind of caught me by surprise, but the fantasy booking everyone's doing now is that, you know, there's going to be a, a rematch, the heels are going to go over, and then that's when we're going to have Sasha Banks and Naomi walk back in, who apparently supposedly have re-signed with the company. That is the rumor that's going around we keep hearing that but we keep not seeing them which is eventually going to be a problem so they, they, at some point they're going to have to but it, you know, who's show their a hand. problem for it's a problem for the like 20 percent 
of the loudest wrestling fans who are on Twitter that know that that's a rumor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The people, yeah, the ones who, the ones who hate Raquel and, and Aaliyah. Yeah. I think for young wrestling fans, I think it was really a cool moment and they don't have any idea that Sasha and Naomi are going to come back. So um, yeah. I just, I, you know, um, it's valid. If you let yourself get lost in the moment and have fun yeah. with it. It's entertaining. It's cool. It, it was, I mean, you know, it was cool. I, it just didn't, uh, I, I don't have feelings about it one way or the other um, strongly. It, I, everything's sort of aesthetic for me. Like it, they just don't feel like, they just feel like a disparate grouping of two singles wrestlers to me right now. So to put the titles on them um, is like meh. Okay. Yeah, I think all of the women in like basically forced into the tag teams in the tournament felt like that. And I think just by, you know, by attrition that Raquel and Aaliyah felt the most like a team, Um, even compared to Dakota Kai and Io Sky, who are there. So the IWC loves them. They're they're indie darlings. And I keep waiting to see something from them. And I'm, j- I'm not impressed yet. I'm sh- I've seen footage of them where they are impressive. It hasn't been over the last few weeks. It's been messy and it's yeah. been weird. They've I, been very, very underwhelming. And I think if, the, if they were outrageously good, then I think they would have gone over. I think if the crowd reacted to them the, at, as big as they did at, uh, at SummerSlam, then yeah, they probably would have gone over. But I think because they've been underwhelming, they're, they're going to be held off a little bit. I'll be really cynical for a second. It'd be like my, I was thinking while I was the last couple of weeks, like they bring back Bailey and it's like this huge thing and everybody's so excited for it. And I'm looking and I'm like between this Bailey and the other, and it's basically her only new gimmick is that she wears weird cargo pants, right? <laughs> like there's nothing else, you know, she's wearing these like really yeah. o- overt cargo pants. And I'm like, she's going to the pizza place with Kramer like, to buy exactly, her stuff with filling it up with pennies. I'm like, yeah. God, there's more to a gimmick than than you're wearing like Matt Hardy's gear. <laughs> so yeah, but so- someday someone's gonna call our pockets and the place is gonna erupt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she's Let me tell you she's dipping the fanny pack for just the the weird cargo pants. Pronouns pockets. Um, <laughs> Tommy, you really wanted to talk about this KO and the Bloodline. Yes, uh, Sami Zayn. Uh, boy, you got into some stuff with people who are over. Tommy's been fighting. He's been fighting the good fight over. Uh, Andrew, you missed it. We had a for real uh, a cameo from uh, Dan Housen at the beginning of the podcast, uh, oh, filling wow. in for uh, Julie because Tommy's been going to bat for for the Dan Housens, the Sammy Zanes of the world. So, Tommy, you brought it up. You take it away. You tell me what you loved about uh, what went on last night. Well, John, you know I've been on a roller coaster with Sammy Zayn where I have both thoroughly enjoyed and thoroughly not enjoyed his work. And now it's very clear to see that the time that I didn't enjoy Sammy's work was the time when they were actively devaluing him on the roster. Devaluing, uh, I think it's the better word because you yeah, got into ba- a fight with someone over the word. It was the, is the word burial. Yeah. You and I both used the word burial and I didn't know which of us he was referring to. And I didn't care. It was one of those things where I was yeah, feeling I froggy and I jumped, which yeah. is always a mistake online. Sure. Uh, but so with Sammy, there was a point in time where he was so devalued that they literally cut his move set by three quarters. I mean, he became a kick and punch guy for about a year and a manager for just under a year. 
he clearly wasn't part of the long-term plans of the company. He was just a guy on the roster. Yes, he was employed. I don't think he was ever like really on the chopping block as far as people mentioning he could be released or anything like that. And he certainly resigned, but it wasn't like they were using him to his potential. He was just another guy on the roster and he was basically a manager, comedy fodder. They weren't using him properly. And now all of a sudden, when you see him used to his fullest potential, that this is who you're getting now. Like this is the guy that, and obviously it's Triple H because Triple H has always cared for Sammy's work and has always protected Sammy as far as putting him with the right people. Uh, by, and Sportskedia today, we, we saw they shared a photo of Sammy Zayn and the Usos together in NXT in 2014. Mm. And then another photo of them currently together. Uh, but Sammy putting in just fantastic work. When he got them uh, to break on SmackDown the other night, uh, and, and shout out to uh, Roman, by the way, for resetting it, for reteeing that. That was a very good comedic instinct. Things. Yeah, like, you're gonna do what? I mean, what is that again? He's, he's so <laughs> very good. Like, Roman is so Steve. good, and when the way so I watched it after most people had commented on it, and some people were mentioning that Roman broke. Nah, he didn't break. He called he out them. Jay for breaking. Yeah, he. Who, got by the way, Jay break. was breaking from the get, like from yeah. the beginning of that segment. He was already laughing before they even <laughs> yeah. got into Roman's dressing room. Uh, so it, and that was fun. That was a lot of fun. And yeah, he, it was you know, a fun he, thing he to see. Reset. They were um, like, it, it, it also it reminded me of the uh, uh, God. There's the Larry David comparisons continue. First, we had Edge looking like Kevin Roberts, and now uh, it was a uh, you got to get in that ass, Larry. It was the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm in there. I'm, I'm I'm eating Snickers. I'm throwing the Snickers. I'm eating potato chips. I'm throwing her at Sammy. Is doing. The, I'm in there. I'm having a picnic. I'm doing a dance. You're doing what? I'm doing a dance. I mean, it's just a great. I'm glad they left that in because, Andrew, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I could see Vince on a bad mood day. What the fuck is this? You know, like this, this isn't serious. And I don't know that he would have well, gone I, for the organic humor. He would like super scripted humor. I would only counter you with it really did seem like Vince was digging Sammy because of the positions he was put in in the last year. I mean, true. Literally. That was the argument, by the way, online was that. You know, how how could you defend that position when Sammy defended the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania? And my counter to that was Vince never cared about the Intercontinental Championship. That was a th- that was something that it was a prop. Yeah, he just threw it at whoever it. I mean, again, like I'll say this full stop. Sammy had the greatest celebrity match in probably the his, you know, in probably mm-hmm. the history of WWE this year. Agreed. At WrestleMania. I mean, well, I would go Lawrence Taylor, Bam Bam. You, you got to give well, just for some significance, for maybe. But I, I mean, if you've seen that clip of when he slant, when Wee Man slams Sam, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like Memphis Heat right there. Yeah. Um, that was amazing. That was an amazing crowd reaction. Um, I mean, Sammy got himself over. He's legitimately funny. He has Bobby Heenan in- instincts, which I understand is yes. A- I said huge, that memory. I said that a couple weeks ago. That's a huge yeah. compliment. And I, I don't, I don't say that lightly. Uh, he legit has Bobby Heenan instincts in terms of being around the ring and he's always in the moment and uh, he's never caught off guard. And um, I think that Sammy's been in the business a long time and doesn't necessarily care too much about wrestling glory anymore. I think it's just about being the glue guy and Obviously, if if there was that feeling about Sammy, like he's just a guy, 
he would not be in the A1, A1, A1 storyline. I, I look at when Austin started doing comedy. I mean, look, Roman Reigns has been serious-faced heel champion for two years. Yeah. I think you need some comic relief. Like, Roman's going to be ser- keep it serious, but he can, inter- he can have interplay with the Usos that lets fans be entertained. Um, I think the full package of it has been one of the most watchable things on WWE TV. And um, it's just one of those fun things. You tune into Raw or SmackDown to see, like, what's how Sammy going to break the Usos this week? Like, it's it's like SNL in the 2000s. Like, well, how when is, is Jimmy and her, or Jimmy and Horatio, what's going to break them in a sketch? Um, well, we don't want to go there. <laughs> no, no, I know. It's a weird <laughs> Not this week. Uh, um, but, but yeah, bad week for that people. kind of talk. What's going to break? I just uh, have high praise and... for him. I think, um, I mean, he literally could walk out with braids like, you know, Jey Uso and, and get the scorn of, <laughs> of the internet. I but that. it would, yeah. I mean, it would be amazing. Like, that's what I would be pitching. Yeah, I mean, um, and I've come down off that a bit. My my biggest issue with the way they treated Sammy was, and I again, I think this is previous previous administration uh, stuff, is that Sammy they they cut his move set in half, maybe more. And I hate to see that because Vince had an idea that heels wrestle a certain way, baby faces wrestle a certain way, and so they took away a lot Our, of what, he, what Sammy a makes. Topic that came up. Yeah, so a lot of what makes Sammy special in the ring was just taken from him. It's like taking a guy who's who's got a great physique and going, you look great, put on a unitard. Like, it was just one of those things where they took so much from him. And I just I just wanted to see him be able to use his full moveset because he was clearly using his comedy chops and he's he's excellent in backstage and uh, and on mic situation. So that was that was all. I got myself into a fight for no reason. I worked myself into a shoot. Bro. Worked yourself into a shoot. The last thing I would say about Sammy, and it, it extends to, Ke- to KO, is that um, one of the things that I, that I sort of noticed is like um, w- WWE historically rewards lo- um, extreme loyalty. And those two dudes, when everybody was leaving for wrestling glory for, to sign with AEW, the new upstart, better schedule, you can do whatever you want in the rings, no scripted promos, the whole deal. Those two dudes decide, you know, chose to re-sign with WWE. And from Vince on down, and I'm sure um, Hunter and Sean feel the same way uh, because they, that's how they were educated. Um, that's why I think you're seeing Kevin Owens get the push that he's getting. And I think that's why you're seeing Sami Zayn in the position in the main event, you know, adjacent, but in the main event storyline. Those dudes chose WWE at a time when they didn't have to. Um, and I think they're being rewarded and we're seeing the fruits of that reward every week. Well, if you all want to see them continue to uh, reap the benefits, Raw airs Monday nights at 8 on USA. Uh, NXT airs at 8 on Tuesday nights on USA. And then there's Friday Night SmackDown, Fridays at 8 on the Fox Network. And don't forget, Clash at the Castle, Saturday on what I call... The Winged Rainbow. Peacock. That's it for the Raw Recap. And off of what Andrew was talking about, it's time for AEW and Sometimes Why. AEW and Sometimes Why. So, uh, Andrew, we, we, you follow all, all sports entertainment. Is it sports entertainment or wrestling, Andrew? 
Grappling? No. Uh, Grappling. <laughs> Grapples. Uh, Slobber knockerin. Catches catch can. No, it's yeah. You know, it's wrestling. So, I always I always do R A R A double S L I N. It's wrestling. Yeah, wrestling. I remember that. So I'll just ask in, in broad strokes here. Uh, what's going on in, in AEW? Do you think? Because boy, it seems like they're first of all both companies are doing very well in the TV ratings. But my theory is it's for different reasons. I feel like WWE, everyone's like, let's see what happens. And I think AEW, it's let's see what happens sort of thing. You get that I sense or is that overblown? I think there's just, I mean, there's, it's hard to pinpoint one large, like, uh, overarching reason why they're, they're just scattered. I, I just think Tony is scatterbrained, man. I mean, first of all, um, A, the combination, like wrapping ROH weirdly into the AEW product has completely sort of disjointed the show. It's like, who am I supposed to care about? One week mm. we see Moa Joe, one week we don't. We have Sanjay Dutt and, you know, Jay Lethal. Sometimes they're wrestling AEW guys sometimes, and they all have titles. And then Cesaro comes over from WWE and now they're calling him Claudio, which is his old ROH name. And he wins. The t- There's just all this stuff that it's just like it's, it's so all over the place with the with the infusion of, of Ring of Honor. And it's not it wasn't like an invasion angle where you have team ROH. And, you know, there's just a lot of random um, booking of a Ring of Honor match or a Ring of Honor title match and then an AEW storyline. And it's taking up the time of storylines that you want to see. So I that that's one of that I think is a a big reason why um, the shows are suffering. Me personally, the ball drop of of this year, the the biggest ball drop of this year is not capitalizing on Wardlow beating MJF finally and and mm. giving him you know strapping the rot the jetpack to him the proverbial jetpack. I mean, he was the most over babyface in the business, basically. And they completely let the flame just fizzle out. And now he's, you know, he's the team. I mean, literally the next week after he beat MJF, he came out and said, you know what? I'm not going to go after the world title. Let, the, let everybody else go after the world title. I, you know, I think I'll go after this secondary title. And I was just like, what, a, you know, so I think they had a huge opportunity to really make. Wardlow, a, yeah. a the centerpiece, the crown jewel of the company, um, and they missed well, how it. Much, how much do you think that has to do with MJF going away? And where do we think he is right now? Is that because at the beginning it was a work, but now I'm like, boy, this is a long work. I mean, I I saw that. I mean, I've seen people say like, and Wardlow even was. I I read a quote today from him that. He's just like, you know, there's a lot of weirdness going on with MJFs, but I'm just like, they put you over. Like you, you spent mm-hmm. however many months, you know, chasing and you finally got your moment of glory. Like, it's not weird to me that the the heel who just got beat goes away for a while and then like let Wardlow go be the shining baby face crown, you know, like ride, you know, ride the, ride the train. Um, they yeah. just let, they just let the train go into the station and park for a while. So um, I think they missed the boat there. And then the other thing I'll say about AEW is like, or Tony's booking is he really has not shown 
that he knows how to book a babyface champion because they they again before Wardlow, they had um, uh, Page as the, you know they put they put the title on Hangman Page, huge super over super over babyface. They put the title on him, and what they do? They gave him a bunch of wrestling glory matches and like weird old rivalries from his time on the Indies or in Japan instead of putting an insurmountable heel monster heel in his, you know, they have a roster full of monster heels. They besides, um, besides uh, Archer, they didn't put one in his way. They didn't give him one insurmountable challenge. You know who they booked him against Adam Cole, who it, who it doesn't present as a challenge. I mean, wrestling wise, sure, but not, you know what I'm saying? That wasn't a hill to climb. There wasn't a, he wasn't in jeopardy at any point yeah. during his championship reign. And I think that's, that's sort of the key guiding principle of booking a babyface champion is you need to put that babyface champion in jeopardy of losing that title every single mm-hmm. time. As you look at Hogan, I mean, it was from boss man to one man gang to yep. Andre, you know, uh, to Bundy, all those, you know what I'm saying? And they have Earthquake. a rock of those people with Miro yep. and with, uh, you know, Alistair Black and his crew, and they have all these monsters, and none of them touched, none of them touched uh, Hangman Page. He was just wrestling like cool wrestling matches. But those are sort of the top line things that, but that are sort of taking me out of being super excited about AEW. I've been the resident AEW booster on the show and watching all their programming for weeks now. I will agree with you wholeheartedly on almost everything that you said. Um, The Wardlow problem there. Some of it stems from his limitations as well. He's definitely not the world's greatest promo, not terrible, uh, but not great. Uh, They made a very, very huge mistake putting him against Cassidy. That hurt him a lot because Cassidy is super popular and they had a great match. So it wasn't even the fact that they put on a banger of a match that was super fun that I I think I watched it like four times. It was a really good match. The problem was Wardlow went into that match as over as you said he was. He went in with all that momentum and the crowd chanting Wardlow's going to kill you. And then he goes in there with Orange Cassidy, the baby face to end all baby faces, has a great match. And you think that Cassidy can win. Yeah. And when Wardlow won, it was... It, it took all the wind out of the room. And that was a huge I, mistake on Tony's the, part. That's the specific example that I was lacking in, in my uh, diatribe. But yes, that match killed it because yep. uh, the fans wanted to cheer for Cassidy. And it, the match was booked to be 50-50. Whereas coming out of beating MJF, conquering you know, the, the guy who's held you under his thumb for six, eight months, whatever it was, I want to see him powerbomb the shit out. Sorry out of as many guys as possible for as many weeks as you want to do it until a new challenger presents himself. Like use the, I mean, look, obviously people have opinions about Hulkamania and and it's, it's dated, but that plan works. And if the, if they employed some version of the Hulk Hogan playbook with Wardlow, he'd be so astronomically over right now. Yeah. yeah, he's really good. I mean, he's a good looking guy. He's massive. He's very skilled in the ring. And if you if you book him with the proper opponents, that's going to happen. I mean, this 
last week they had him on Rampage in his hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. So he got the big hometown pop and he got to murder Dolph Ziggler's brother, Ryan Nemeth, uh, including with (laughs) he threw one of the most wicked, just sickening looking headbutts that was. And we were talking about uh, earlier, we're talking about camera angles. And I feel like WWE's camera angles recently have have kind of gone down in quality where AEW's camera work has improved a little bit. And man, they had the correct angle to show that headbutt and it landed. It looked like it it looked like it killed him. I mean, and then four power bombs to end that match. One thing AEW does have is a roster full of jabronis that he could maul through <laughs> yep. on Rampage every single week. I mean, every Friday night, we should be able to tune in and see Wardlow just decapitate a, a low-card guy um, just to get yeah. him over. Yeah, and I think, I think the other problem, though, and to go back to Cassidy, is that AEW has originals that they built the company on that their diehards, myself included, adore and want to see more from. And when there was that kind of too large influx of WWE talent coming in, and a lot of those guys, especially the Undisputed Era, now you know the Undisputed Elite, uh, when those guys came in and started running roughshod over the AEW originals, a lot of fans turned on that. You know, Cole, Cole is certainly over because he's, I think Cole will always have that indie cred. But as far as what those guys did coming in and kind of running over the AEW roster, they need to do a better job with their homegrown guys that stuck around that are still over and that are kind of just languishing in the mid card to the upper card. Um, You know, Orange is there. Darby Allen is there. Uh, Wardlow, interestingly enough, also has the problem where he's an AEW guy who I think the fans always kind of feel like he's a WWE guy because of his size and his right. skill set. gets that. Yeah. I just think Vince could uh, vintage Vince would make literally hundreds of millions of dollars with Ward Wardlow. Yeah. Yep. Just with that name too. Uh, the big thing that got a lot of people upset. I mean, even people that are AEW darlings, the uh, CM Punk, John Moxley match last week. Um, I mean, that was like a number one trend on Twitter with people saying the hell happened here. Uh, Tom uh, and then Andrew or whatever you guys want to jump in. Um, surprise me because that match uh, threw me off. I, I don't quite get it. Can you explain it to me? What was going on there? And did you agree? It's a work, but I have no idea which direction it's working. Because um, Punk just dropped real quick to Mox. Yep. It was like about four minutes or so. And yeah, uh, it was like a Goldberg, that Goldberg Lesnar match where it was just yeah, like, I mean, the fuck both guys, I mean, you know, there were hard shots from both guys early and then punk kicks Moxley in the head. And then he sells that foot injury. And then Moxley takes advantage to his credit. Who's, you know, that he's got that pit bull style character. He just jumped on punk and just leveled him and smashed him with a bunch of clean shots and tore at that foot and got the win. Um, but they're working towards something. They didn't film all that backstage stuff with, with punk. They, there's gotta be, I think we all can recognize punk works best as a heel and the earnest baby face punk that they were running with was going to have a shelf life. And I think that's over. And I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Cause I think it's going somewhere. I just yeah. don't know where things up. It's like angle alert, angle alert, angle alert, a booking that match on dynamite instead of all out angle alert. B, 
squash match. Uh, like after being on the shelf for eight months, he comes back. Everyone's so excited. You get this huge stare down between the interim champion and the champion who never lost the title. It's going to be this epic, you know, showdown. And then it ends up being a squash match. Like, hello, angle alert. Um, but, you know, it, I think that they did it to get a rise out of the fans, get people talking, get people to debate what's going on and get the, you know, controversy creates cash. Shout out to Eric Bischoff. Um, did you work with Eric, by the way, Andrew? No, not until uh, recently. With okay, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Roast, I didn't know if he was about, still in Stanford at the time. But uh, we we pitched the hell out of him. I'll say that he came up mm. often, and we were always told uh, no, or that storyline is not big enough to for to bring Eric back for. Interesting. Uh, which was a common uh, answer for when yeah. we would pitch things like, "Let's bring Brock Lesnar back." Um, but, uh, yes, it's just a giant angle alert. I mean, it kind of didn't go off. It, it did, it didn't feel great, um, watching it. Um, but I think the follow-up has been kind of cool. Like the next day releasing the backstage footage of punk selling that foot injury. Um, so I think, you know, something's coming. Obviously the return of MJF is, it's something that kind of has to happen probably. And uh, I don't know. I I've been trying not to try to fantasy book it. Cause I am curious to see where they're going to see like what Tony has up his sleeve in terms of booking that angle. Um, mm-hmm. And then all the leaks about punk not being popular backstage, they're leading to something with him. Mm-hmm. He's too smart to just say yes to a squash match on, on his big return. You know, right. well, and I do I do want to put over Moxley's work both in the match and after the match in his promo. Moxley's putting on some really good matches awesome. and some really good work. Yeah, he's rest, I mean wrestler of the year. If Cody didn't get injured, he's he's up there like old pro wrestling illustrated style. I mean, it, it's Moxley, it's Roman. He he's he's been awesome. His intensity has just is just next level. I mean, he still does the crazy herky jerk walk and the you know, the weird facials um, and stuff like that. But other, I mean, nobody's locked in the way John Moxley is. And I think that, you know, the Blackpool fight, the Blackpool combat club just like fits him. Yeah. You know, well, and, that, and that promo that uh, punk cut on him totally could have skunked him and that match. And it didn't, I mean, to, yeah. to Moxley's those credit, he strikes, back from that. You know, those are cool. Um, he's doing excellent, excellent work. All stuff that he could never do in WWE. Um, so if everyone wants to follow and see where this all goes at AEW. AEW Dynamite airs Wednesday nights at 8 on TBS. Rampage Friday at 10 on TNT. And don't forget about All Out this Sunday on Pay-Per-View. A lot of TBDs on that card as we record. So maybe we'll see some of those returns there. This has been AEW and Sometimes Why. All right, now we get to talk to the great Andrew Goldstein. I'm very excited about this. Andrew, you and I first met. We worked at the Tonight Show together in uh, New York City, and uh, we we would talk sometimes uh, when time allowed about your experiences. Well, what are you working on right now, Andrew? Because you've done you've had a prolific career as as a television producer at MTV, at Vice, all these different things. What? And yeah, ga- uh, what's the name of the game show you just had that just that's uh, going through the right roof right now? The- Right after, right before the new year, uh, top gen, uh, yep. if you see on net, one of the networks has the Jimmy Kimmel 
segment spun off into a big shiny floor game show, Generation Gap. Yeah. Our My show, mom loves that show, man. So our, shout out yeah, to that. Our show on Complex uh, is sort of the hip hop version of that. It was called Top Gen. It was a member of, you can find it on YouTube. It's basically a, a Gen Z or a Gen X or a millennial and a boomer compete on a game show about the other generations yeah. of culture. Um, try just trying to sort of crystallize those moments where like a boomer doesn't know who Drake is and a millennial <laughs> doesn't know who Elvis Presley is. So um, that was really fun, but just in general, yes. Uh, uh, They'd be totally lost on hockey talk, man. They'd say, what the fuck? Yeah, is, exactly. This is just crazy uh, here. I was an NBC page uh, in 2000 and 2001. Oh, well, worked, I didn't know that. Yeah. Worked on it. Worked on uh, SNL was my assignment. So I was uh, like the bat boy on my favorite baseball team. Just, yeah. Uh, with the, you know, Will Ferrell and Tina Fey and Jimmy Fallon. Sure. It was awesome. And then out of that, I was a production assistant basically everywhere. I got into the MTV system, which got me my first writing job on a show called Boiling Points. If you remember that. The mm -hmm. show. And from there, I was just a writer uh, for 10 years, uh, writing award shows and tent pole shows and, and uh, game shows and prank shows and all kinds of stuff um, for MTV. And obviously I had the, the, the year lot, the year stop at uh, WWE in that 10 years. And then transitioned that when I got to Spike TV into producing, which while I was at Spike TV, I worked with TNA a bunch which was kind of cool. And then uh, from there that led into uh, EPing and show running and, and developing um, and sort of like building uh, talk shows and variety shows and, and awesome. uh, stuff like so that. How did you get, so talk us through, you came, you came to WWE in 2006. Yeah. Um, so how did that, who'd you interview with first? Of I all? wrote um, for the long story. I wrote the whole story for complex. Um, like almost 10 years ago, um, I can, uh, I'll, I'll I, I wrote like a whole like big, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. On how I got it. But the story really is I, those aggregator job websites, entertainmentcareers.net man posted WWE, uh, creative writer. And I was like 25 and I was just like, I'll apply. And you look, you, you, you go on those websites and especially in entertainment, you send your resume off. I mean, it just goes into like the stratosphere and it, you, you have no idea if it's ever being seen by human eyeballs. And I got, it was the only time in the, in my history of using websites like that, except for, re, you know, late later on with LinkedIn, but those aggregator websites, you, you would never get a return email ever. I sent my resume in through entertainmentcareers.net and uh, WWE HR reached out to me and said, you know, we love your MTV experience. We're launching the Diva Search competition with The Miz. We would love for you to uh, interview. And um, so I had my first, I had the panel, which um, I think, you know, Brian was on it. And Brian Gewertz. Brian Gewertz. Well, uh, the book, uh, There's Just One Problem. Book, which I'm halfway through. It's unbelievable. One of the, the smartest, smart ass in, in, that I've ever met in my life mm. just it was an incredible person to be around. But um, anyway, the long story is I went through the process, didn't get it. And then a year later I saw them post the job again. And I called the HR lady that I had sort of 
had my dealings with the first go around. I said, is there anything preventing me from applying again? She's like, oh no, please. And so I applied again. And well, they, that's smart. And they, it's a, so, it's a smart so, thing to so, do so for Andrew, anyone listening is that if you don't get it the first time, it can't hurt to reach out and say, would it hurt to reapply? Cause I got to tell you, that's how I got hired at Fallon. I, I did a packet in 2008 and about a year later, um, just reached yeah. out again and they were like, Oh, you know what? It would work this time. It can't hurt to ask. But th- the second time around, they were launching that full on diva search on weekly TV. I've realized it just got dark in the room that I'm in. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I had like one or two MTV writing credits on my resume and that, you know, you, John, you know, at WWE, if you have anything mainstream cred on your resume, they just go crazy for it. And so they immediately teamed me with the Miz and we helped build those initial diva search segments. And then I, then I was basically on team SmackDown and writing SmackDown for the bulk of the summer of 2006 through the fall. Who was head writer at that time again? Uh, Alex Greenfield, AG, okay. AG classic. I was AG, I was AG, uh, dose. And, um, <laughs> that's funny. And then he left to, um, sur- basically just as a survival mechanism, he was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, and then they put Michael Hayes as the head writer, which was my downfall. <laughs> and um is there a story i've heard a story that he came into the room once that he was working out and came into the room after working out still dripping with sweat and went around and just cut a promo on everybody doing a shitty job writing is do you know that story did that happen when you were there not specifically that but sure i mean look (laughs) (laughs) sounds right he's super talented guy i mean i grew up watching the Freebirds, so i was like in awe but then also in fear yeah. Um, it was like me with Heyman. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you read Brian's book, he, he explains, uh, Michael very well in one of the first few chapters, there's a rhyme, <laughs> which I don't exactly remember, but it's basically like, if his hair is in a ponytail, like you're good. If his hair is down, like run for the fucking Hills because, he, <laughs> he, you know, uh, that's, yeah, that's fucking true. Yeah. I mean, I have lots of stories, but, um, I remember, you know, you, you're on 13 week, uh, yeah. renewals. And after my first one, he called me into Brian's office and he sat me down and he's like, well, we're going to bring you back. And I was like, Oh, this is amazing. Thank you. So, and he like cut me off, but it's not like I'm running down to HR telling him we need to keep this kid. And I was just like, Oh, thank you. I think. And so it was a lot of that. It was Did he lot. ask if you celebrate Thanksgiving? Well, um, no. But <laughs> that's the that's a classic story that we always heard in the yeah, office. He's, but uh, I feel like I just got off on the wrong foot with him, and it just never, yeah. I never got back. But I will say, this was fifteen years has passed since I was on WWE Creative, and I've done a lot of. Um, I, I went through obviously sort of a decade of being bitter about it. And coming out of that, I've done a lot of sort of searching and, and thinking about um, the time. And what I've come to understand is like, A, which is, again, to what John was saying, like lessons for people, you know, young and coming up. And I think it translates to just regular TV is like, you kind of need to earn your smart ass cred. 
Um, I came in and I at saw, different places, by the way. Yes. And I, I came in you and start I thought, over at every new place. That's yeah. An important and I saw thing Brian, I, had to learn. I saw Brian at the front of the room being a smart ass and get and pop in the room and having the, the ear of Vince McMahon and, and Kevin Dunn and Michael Hayes and Dusty Rhodes. And I, and I come from a comedy background. So I saw little Jewish guy being funny and I was just like, okay, that's my track. But mm -hmm. I was new guy be, and just went like zero to 60 on trying to be funny guy, pitching funny storylines, you know, doing impressions like Brian was doing impressions of the people in the room. And it just, it really kind of screwed me. Mm -hmm. um, and what I realized is like Michael Hayes, since he's 17 years old, has been in the wrestling business. He doesn't really that's his entire adult life. And here's me coming in and making fun of this thing that he's been in since he's 17 years old. And he was very, and I have no cred to be doing that in his eyes. And so I understand why I didn't get along with Michael because I didn't, I, I went, a, I went zero to 60 and I didn't Got earn it. that respect to be able to rib and to be able to sort of, um, you know, uh, joke about this business that he really loved loves on a different level than we love it. Right. Um, and I didn't, res I, I didn't respect that. And I didn't have the respect for that. I just saw Brian and was trying to emulate Brian. And, uh, I think that, you know, I, I got a little deep there, but that's sort of yeah. this sort of reflection that I've had is just like, you know, I was bitter at Michael Hayes for such a long time. And I'm now I'm like, Oh, I, I would have been the same way. I would have kicked that guy out of my writer's room too. Yeah. How old were you at the time, Andrew? Cause that makes a big difference too. Yeah. Like 26. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> still, dude, I can tell like, you very I mean, much an adult, but also still a kid. Whenever I no, hear a, no. whenever a, a, a bad Ryanman story gets back to me uh, from Fallon, I always go, when was this? And they go, so I go, Oh yeah. That's when I was 26. <laughs> like that's, yep. That's the age it yes. seems. So just like, mid to late twenties are messy, man. Uh, just but messy Andrew, you did earn your stripes as a comedy writer and a wrestling writer. You were the head writer for the the roast of Rick Flair over the summer. I mean, uh, talk tell about, us about tell us about that. I, I get. I mean, you said the words out loud, and I got chills. Like it's so insane to me that, like, in my 36th year of being a wrestling fan. You know, I, I, I've been trying to pinpoint when I found wrestling, it's been like a sort of two to three year project for me. Um, I've, I've narrowed it down to sometime in 1986, uh, mm -hmm. sort of the fall of 86 anyway. Uh, and Ric Flair was such a huge part of that. And then to like all these, and obviously I worked with him in 2006, but to all these years later, um, be there on the weekend of his last match and to meet his family and to uh, be part of this like mo sort of um, event as part of his last match weekend was just uh, really humbling and really exciting for me again since I have stepped away um, from like comedy writing and, and full on uh, being in the comedy world uh, just because of where my career has gone, it was really cool to like be able to flex that muscle again. Yeah. And what I always say is like wrestling keeps finding me in the last sort of 
10, 12 years of my career, wrestling just keeps finding me. I mean, like I said, I ended up at Spike TV. They happen to have TNA. I availed myself. I said, hey, I'm a wrestling nerd if you ever need help. And then it's like, bing, let's put this cat. And I was writing the episodic promos and, and you know, brainstorm in like sort of producing the the camp the marketing campaign for Hulk Hogan's introduction into TNA. And so but then it's like all these years later, I, you know, guy from Vice calls me. He's like, I hear you're a showrunner and a wrestling fan. Do you want to do this uh companion show to Dark Side of the Ring? And then it's like Dark Side of the Ring Confidential happens and I I run that and uh, with Conrad you know, Thompson. Conrad Thompson was the host. The Podfather as they part. call him. And so that's where I developed a relationship with Conrad. And then you come sort of two years later and, and they announced that they're going to do a Ric Flair roast. And I'm a huge roast fan. And the first joke I ever got on TV was the, Den- the, the Comedy Central roast of Dennis Leary. I was the writer's assistant and I pitched a bunch of jokes and I got a joke into Dennis's um, oh, great. bottle, which just because I have John here uh, to pop you, uh, John Stewart sent in a video instead of showing up. And so the joke was John Stewart wanted to be here, but somebody put his car keys on his TV and he's still at home trying to reach them. <laughs> so well, uh, you're popping Tommy with that one. He's yeah. the more he's <laughs> so he's got again, the go away heat for John Stewart the, more than I do. All these full circle, like you know, first joke on TV was a roast, and then all these years later, like basically I, yeah. I DM Conrad and I said, Hey man, I see you're doing the roast of Rick Flair. If you need any help at all, like I was just fishing That's for great. when I submit jokes and he wrote back. Yeah, man. Do you want a show run? <laughs> I was like, okay, That's fucking, oh, it's amazing. Sure. Let's do it. Um, Cause he sort of watched me work on confidential and he had never been on TV and I coached him through that. And, and my, he, he was great by the way, you he he did such, such a great job on that. He was like, like been was, doing uh, it 10 years. He, Oh, you know, uh, I, uh, I made him look good on TV. So he owes me, but, uh, no, he, uh, so he gave me this, he put, you know, he gave me this opportunity and I took the ball and ran with it. And then the guy from fight who, um, I was, was my contact. He was like, can you also put together the writer's room and run it? And I was like, sure. Um, so again, it's just wrestling just keeps finding me, but anyway, just about the Ric Flair roast, complete nostalgia bomb. I mean, a who's who on the dais and just to be writing roast jokes about Ric Flair was just like a Venn diagram of, you know, everything that's super fun for me. Right. You have, speaking of super fun, and this is what I want to go out on. This is one of my favorite stories. You have a great undertaker story. And this was before Yeah. now in the undertakers, he's out telling jokes. He's doing stand up. We, he's doing reality shows. He's, he's got a podcast there, but this is before we knew behind the curtain and you have one of my favorite undertaker stories. And I don't know if Tommy's heard this one. This is great. I've told it on a couple podcasts. It's, it really, I mean, I joke about my relationship with Hayes being my undoing, but this really was my undoing. Like this directly led to me falling out of favor with Vince. And then a few months later being uh, let go. Okay. Smackdown 2006, we had Vito wrestling every week in a dress. Oh, we know Vito. He's been talking to us on, uh, on okay, uh, TikTok. Yeah. Shout great out guy. to Vito. But at the time, he was the toughest guy to ever wear a dress. Why do you wear a dress? Because I can. Uh-huh. Who's going to tell me who's going to stop me? So uh, Vito was wearing a dress, and, and um, Michael Hayes pitched. It always comes back to Freebird, really. Freebird <laughs> pitched this um, runner 
John, you'll remember, you know, you get these random pay-per-views. They, they like to put like a comedic runner. Through yeah, thread. A thread. Yeah, thread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the idea was that uh, William Regal was trying to get his hands on Vito. And so it was like Bugs Bunny and whomever, like running in and out of door, you know, just basically... Uh, it Doing was a Benny like a Hill bug, act, kind of. It was like a bugs. It was like four, three or four threaded vignettes throughout the pay per view, mm-hmm. uh, like a bug, like Bugs Bunny. Uh, you know, uh, Simony Sam trying to get his hands on Bugs Bunny, or Tom trying to get his hands on Jerry, and so it was all these near misses. And one of them was supposed to be William Regal is chasing after Vito, but a guy like a, a arena employee sort of cuts him off with a hot dog cart and William Regal crashes into the hot dog cart and gets completely covered in all the stuff on the hot dog cart in his, you know, three piece uh, British Mm -hmm. suit. Problem is, is I was the messenger to deliver that to Bruce Pritchard who had to produce these four uh, vignettes and he wasn't very happy about the creative and he took it out on me by saying, well, you're going to be that waiter. And the problem with that is, is that I was wearing my suit, which was my only suit for uh, the weekend. Uh, Cause I had raw the next night and I had SmackDown the next night and writers at that time had to wear, I might, I, you know, I brought different shirt and different tie, but the suit was going to be consistent throughout um, TVs. And um, he said, you're going to be the waiter. And so I had, you know, I had to go along with it and uh, played my part. And the cart, you know, was full of mustard and huge bowl, salad bowls of mustard, ketchup, relish, hot dogs, buns, you name it. And so we do the deal and Vince is in the room producing at the camera. And this is one of those stories where like some weird, some unwritten rule gets broken and you have no idea that it's a rule. But I do my part. I turn the corner. William Regal crashes in to the, the hot dog cart. And obviously Bruce told him to like overdo it with me because he saw the trepidation in my eyes when he told me I was going to be the waiter. And I was like, but my suit, sir, uh, because William Regal pulled me down with him into the sloppy mess of mustard, ketchup and relish. And we are literally rolling around in these hot dog condiments. And I'm getting completely soiled from head to toe, uh, again, in my only suit. And what felt like we had been doing it for three to four minutes, probably was 45 (laughs) seconds. I made the cardinal mistake of looking up at the camera like, I think we got it. And Vince is standing right there looking at the viewfinder and he just went ballistic. Like, what? You never stop. Blah, blah, blah. You never stop. We're we're always working. God yeah. damn it. I had a similar experience. Like play yeah. it back for me. I'll find the out. And he just, yeah. I mean, I was just so upset about my suit. And I was so upset about getting yelled at by Vince. It was just a horrible, horrible night. And of course, Johnny Laurinaitis comes up to me after he's like, Oh, just send me the bill for your dry cleaning. Like he felt, he legitimately felt bad of what, sort of what had happened to me. That's when you know things are rough when Johnny Ace yeah. is the way he's the, he voice, he's the, the nice guy in the story. But so yeah. I, I spend the rest of the night just like paper towels, just getting as much of the 
stuff off of me. I reek to high hell. It's awful, awful, awful. And I was scheduled to fly to the next city on Vince's jet that night. And so, um, uh, of course, just because it happens to be the one night in the entire time I was at the company that Undertaker was on that flight. And so I get onto the jet after the show, smelling like mustard, ketchup, and relish, and fucking meat casings. And I step onto the private jet, and Undertaker's in that first chair, and he turns around in the Captain Kirk chair, and he looks me up and down from, from my toes to my eyes, and he goes, boy, are you really going to get on this man's plane smelling like that? And I was just like, I'm sorry, Mr. Undertaker, sir. I, uh, and he was just like, boy, get in the back of the plane and don't say a fucking word. And I go in the back and I sit and I'm just, he would, and just shaking his head at me, just like disgusted at my, at the sight of me. And it's the, it's the Undertaker, man. It was like the most intimidating person possible. What did he think that like, you just like between. It was, like, the, it's the classic wrestling, like show of disrespect. Like I, uh, you know, I was this like pig pen character but, getting but what on. What did he think? Like, like on the way to the airplane, you're like, you know what? I'm going to put on some ketchup and mustard. I don't know what he was for this thinking. flight. You just saw this like disheveled, disgusting mess getting on this like pristine Air McMahon jet that I don't even have the right to be on. Like, I get it from a weird wrestler. I don't know, man. I take your side still. Um, hey, and, hey, uh, Undertaker, if you're listening and we know you are. And, yeah. Uh, uh, you owe uh, Andrew Goldstein an apology. Andrew, what's your Twitter handle? At Angold, A-N-G-E-G-O-L-D. So anyway, that's the story is basically I got dressed down by The Undertaker after getting ribbed by Bruce Pritchard. Last, last question. Does Conrad Thompson own that suit? No, but I did tell Conrad that story because he basically did. <laughs> he, he did the Bruce episode on that pay-per-view. And then when I saw that that got posted, I, I DM'd him and I was like, hey, man, you realize you want to hear what really happened. And I was like, Bruce really effed me. Um, Bad Bruce. I love Bruce. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for, this has been so much fun and thank you for joining us. And um, again, you know where to follow Andrew and uh, check out all the stuff he just talked about. His uh, dark side of the ring series, uh, the Ric Flair roast, all great stuff. And uh, that's our show. And thank you for listening, everybody. Please subscribe, review, and give us a nice five-star rating. And make sure you tick our talk at Turnbuckles Pod on TikTok. We're blowing up over there. TikTok and Instagram. Thank you, guys. See ya, buckleheads. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.